The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Last week in our scripture reading, we read about Jesus from the, the garden of Gethsemane where he wept and he sweat drops of blood and he called his disciples to be with him and he fell to the ground and is said to them, watch and pray. The, the flesh is weak and his flesh was weak in that time. He cried and he questioned his father if there was any other way. If this cup of suffering sorrow could pass But he submitted himself to his father's will and not his desire. And we're going to continue that this morning. Our text is going to be John 19. And our title will be Christ's Sympathy and Sufficiency. Christ's Sympathy and Sufficiency. I preached last week how Jesus sympathizes with our Weakness, But we need to also hold up and support others in prayer and in practical ways. And as Pastor Corey and I were talking this week, we thought it would be good if we continue that and apply that more. And we thought there might be no more appropriate message for us today. So we'll be back in our regular series next Sunday. But this is a day to see Christ's word for mothers, as we'll see here, and sufferers and strugglers. And it's good for all of us to survey the wondrous cross, to to cling to that old rugged cross and, and to think about and meditate on the power of the cross and, and how the cross actually helps us see the dawn in the very darkest day because that was literally what's happening in John 19. It was the darkest day ever at the middle of the day for three hours in human history as there's darkness that falls on the land from God and then Christ at Calvary cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even in those hours and those moments, the light dawned on someone on the cross next to Jesus. He heard the words of Jesus praying also from the cross, Father, forgive them. And this man on the cross trusted in in Jesus as his only hope for heaven. And Jesus turned to him and promised him instant paradise when he died today. For believers to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Instant paradise with the Lord Jesus. But for those who were left behind, the disciples... Followers of Jesus are struggling to make sense of all of this. What is happening? How are we to think about this? This didn't fit what they expected. This wasn't the the script that they had for how it should go. They, They couldn't believe it. They didn't know what to say or do. They were just overwhelmed with stunning and crushing grief. They're shocked. They're reeling, they're feeling waves of emotion and sorrow. But right in the middle of all of that, we're going to see sorrow and love flow mingled down at the cross of Jesus. 
And he's going to make sure, even in that moment, that his family and his mother is going to be cared for. In this text, he experiences human need and the depth of that, and he expresses sympathy for the needs of others in this moment when he's in great agony, and we're going to see Christ's all-sufficiency, and we're going to see the note of victory, his final cry of victory. But in John 19, verse 23 and 24, we have the soldiers at the cross. They're only caring for themselves in this moment. But listen as I read this to Christ's care for others in this moment. John nineteen twenty-five. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. This is the word of Christ from the cross for us. There's a word here for mothers. Even as we think of and pray for those who take care of mothers, Jesus is concerned that his mother would be taken care of. There's a word for mourners here on this day with Christ's help to care for them. There's a word here for many going through difficulty, many difficulties in this room, many in this passage were going through the most difficult moment of their life that they could have never imagined and couldn't fathom. If if there's times where you can hardly pray or say anything, all you can do is just be there. That's these ladies here. We don't hear of anything that they said, but they were there. If you feel deeply your need, know that even our Savior felt deeply his need, even his physical need for thirst as he cries out here. If you're someone that maybe feels at times that you've got to do something to atone for your guilt from the past, you need to hear the words of Jesus here. If you're a believer, it is finished. If you have deep regret from the past, if there's dark sin that you might have, remember that one of these at the cross, Mary Magdalene, had seven demons. She had a a stigma on her, but the cross overshadowed all of that. And we see her changed and faithful at the cross and then at the empty tomb. If you've lost a loved one, this is the word of the Lord here. For the loss of a loved one or losing a loved one. If you wonder how God will provide in the future. Or just struggling to understand the past. 
There's someone here at the cross who was exactly in that place that the Lord is going to speak to very personally and powerfully with words of assurance. Maybe you're someone who's failed the Lord and and maybe you want to come to the cross, but you just feel like your sin's so great. I, I don't know what he'll say if I come back to him after my sin. There's a word here to a disciple who had deserted the Lord, but is still loved by him and is about to be made closer than family. And is about to be given an incredibly important responsibility to care for the family of Christ. What a merciful Savior. These are the dying words of our now risen and always living Lord. And what he says on the day that he dies has application for all of us in our daily lives. As we see the Lord honoring his mother to his dying breath, as we see our Savior honoring women and widows, his mother was apparently both because she's in need of a man to take her into her home and take care of her. She had lost her husband, apparently, and is now losing her son. But Scripture here honors her in verse 25 for honoring Jesus. And it's Mary and these women that are actually the first ones to honor Jesus in this whole passage. Go back to chapter 18, go to chapter 19. Everyone is dishonoring the Lord in every possible way. And right before this, in fact, verse 25 begins with but. Right before this, he's been talking about these selfish soldiers who are caring only for themselves. But these words from the cross show the selfless care of the Lord for others. In stark contrast, but in contrast to all that, See what happens here. These men are sinning all around, but there's these women who are standing around the cross. This is a wonderful scene. He'd been deserted by the men who were closest to him in the garden. He had been disowned by Peter, and Peter had denied him three times. The Jewish leaders, the Roman authorities, had been disrespecting him in every possible way that I don't even want to repeat. And, and, and we want to, I think as you read this, I, a lady was reading this one time and she told me, she's reading this and thinking, isn't there anyone who's going to do what's right here? Isn't there anyone who's going to stand up for Jesus here? Here it is, standing with and standing for Jesus are these women, even as the male disciples had fled away in fear. Verse 25 says, standing at the foot of the cross are these women. They stand out in this dark chapter. We've got Mary, the mother of Jesus, her sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, the one John calls her sister. If you compare the Gospels, apparently was the one also known as Salome, who was the mother of James and John's sons of Zebedee. So her husband was Zebedee. John is the one writing this Gospel, but he doesn't refer to himself by name or here refer to his mother by name, when he refers to himself, it's the disciple Jesus loved. He never got over the fact that the Lord would love someone like him. Those disciples had all deserted Jesus at the beginning, but sometime before the end, John came back. And he came back and he was close enough that he could hear these words of our Lord. He's joining his mom and the Marys, who are there supporting Jesus. 
and each other. You could just imagine some of the thoughts as they're standing there. This, this, this can't be true. This can't be happening. This beautiful life, this, this shouldn't and doesn't seem like it could happen or didn't have to happen. He certainly didn't deserve this. This is wrong. I'm sure they were thinking this is just all wrong. What are you doing, the Lord? What are you doing? What's happening? But imagine his mother, mother who had held him as a baby. And maybe all these things are flashing through her mind. She had held him as a baby when he cried. And now as he cries out, she can't hold him anymore. There are soldiers around. She's not able to get close the one who had taken care of his needs when he was little, anytime he thirsted, she would nurse him. But now he says, I thirst, and there's nothing she can do. Those hands and feet that she caressed like any mother would, now they're nailed to a cross. And that sweet little head that she would have kissed so many times is now that sacred head, now wounded until it is finished, that bows his head as it is finished. And I'm thinking she thought back also to 33 years earlier when she had this little baby in her arms in the temple because she said she pondered these words in her heart. Simeon came up and he talked about this one who's going to be the glory for the world and the Gentiles and Israel and all that. But he says these words that might not have registered then. Behold, he says to Mary, holding that baby, a sword will pierce through your own Soul, like a, it's going to be like a sword going right through the middle of you. And now Jesus says to his mother the same word, behold. And she's beholding him. He's, he's being pierced through. But you can only imagine, even the spear to his heart, how she's feeling like she's being stabbed right through. She must have felt that in ways that we can't even imagine But amazingly, it says twice in verse 25 through 26, Mary was standing there. Wasn't fainting as we might expect and would understand. Not falling, not fleeing. His men ran, but his mother stands. Think of that. She's standing there. A.W. Pink says, who can estimate what she passed through as she stood there? Who can fathom the crowds are mocking, the thieves are taunting, the priests are jeering, the soldiers are callous and indifferent, the Savior is bleeding and dying, and there is his mother beholding the horrible mockery. What wonder if she would have collapsed or turned away or fled from such a scene, but she is there in her grief. She is empowered to stand, and he says, this might be unique in, in all the annals of the history of our race. She stood by the cross, and the only explanation for that is the Lord can give strength, even in times like that, can enable someone to keep standing and to keep going in something like that. And what's beautiful about this is Mary, Mary wants to do something to comfort her son in his pain, and what the Lord is thinking about here is, what can I do to comfort my Mom in her pain. And so I want us just to look, consider two takeaways in this text of application Christ's sympathy and Christ's sufficiency. First, Christ's sympathy, verse 26 says, Jesus saw his mother 
And it was then that he was moved to speak. He didn't speak to Herod. There wasn't much that he said to his accusers, the authorities. He went silently to his own suffering, but now he sees the suffering of his mother, and John records now. He speaks. He looks in sympathy. He speaks in empathy. We think of earlier in the Gospels, Jesus saw a woman who had suffered greatly over 12 years, and Jesus, Matthew 9, turned and saw her and said, Take heart, daughter. And there's another time he saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion because he saw they were, they were dispirited. They were, they were crushed. They were weak. They were weary like sheep without a shepherd. This is the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, who carries our sorrows. There was a time when he came to a scene where there was a widow whose son had died. And it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Just imagine this is his own mother now. How much his heart went out to her. Even with his friend Lazarus in John 11. His Sister Mary was grieving, Lazarus' sister Mary, and it says, Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. And it says, Jesus wept. The gospel tells us in the garden there, he prayed, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. It's like in his humanity, he wasn't sure if he was going to die even before the cross because of the agony that he was facing and what that meant to him and his father. They said of Jesus at the graveside of Lazarus, see how much he loved him, how much more his own mother. He saw her with the same eyes that looked with sympathy on others from the diseased to the disabled to the demon-possessed, those eyes that looked with love on that rich young ruler that turned away from him, those eyes that that cared for those harassed and helpless crowds, those eyes that saw everything about the woman at the well and still loved her despite her sexual sin. And she becomes a follower of, her, of him. And those eyes that looked at Peter and that moved him to repent and to restoration even after he had denied the Lord, those eyes, those same eyes, now see the suffering, struggling mother needing compassionate sympathy. And it's interesting, in verse 26, he speaks to her as woman, and writer named Hendrickson suggests it was actually kind of him to say woman and not mother, because that word might have driven the sword even more deeply into the soul of Mary. But it was kind to emphasize that Mary must no longer think of him as merely being her son, and the more she conceives of him as such, she will suffer. She must look upon Jesus as her Lord, as her Savior. And Jesus looks at her, and then he looks at this disciple he loved, who's John, standing nearby. And he says at the end of verse 26, Woman, behold your son. To, to behold means to see, to think. See and think of him as your son now. And then he says to John, Behold your mother. In other words, see and think of her as your mother now. And John got it because it says from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. From that very hour, he took her home, took care of her in his own home, cared for her as a mother in the absence of Jesus. 
And so it's wonderful to think about this. Even in this moment right here, Jesus is concerned for his mother, that she would be cared for through her darkest hour. One writer calls this one of the loveliest things in the gospel story. Jesus committing Mary to John's care and John to Mary so that they could comfort each other's loneliness when he was gone. He says there's something infinitely moving that the Savior, even as salvation is hanging in the balance, that the care of his mother is on his mind. And even to the end of his life, he's thinking more of the needs of others than his own. And this convicts me as I struggle How prone I am to think of myself or how this impacts me. I think we're all prone to think of our own concerns. But Jesus is thinking of her. Jesus is not self-absorbed like we can be, like I can be. He's absorbed in her care to the end. He wants her to be comforted. Even though he's in the most uncomfortable pain ever, he's concerned about her comfort and care. And Jesus said, just hours before this in the upper room, that we're to love one another just as I have loved you. So he doesn't just want us to marvel at his love. We're to model his love. As we see how he loved, we need to think about those in our family and in the family of Christ that we are called to care for. And even in light of his mother. Here, do you honor your mother? Do you honor your parents? Do you seek to care for those that God has put in your care? If you haven't recently honored those that you're called to honor, think of Christ. Think of what he says here on the cross. And if you struggle to honor, if you struggle to have sympathy on sinful family, look to the cross. Look to the sympathetic Savior. Look at Him here. Because they did far worse to Him than anything we've experienced. And yet He is on the cross saying, Father, what? Forgive them. The Lord has a forgiving heart of compassion for sinners. Offered to sinners. And we're called to have that same heart. And and it's, I love this. John, remember what John had gone through. John had also deserted him after he'd been laying on his breast. He couldn't stay awake for an hour, but when all this unfolds, they're all gone, including John. John comes back, and Jesus doesn't berate him for sleeping in the garden or for fleeing with the rest. He doesn't say it's about time or anything we might be thinking of to say There's all kinds of ways Jesus could have heaped guilt upon John who had failed him earlier. But Jesus, I love this, sees John. He sees he's coming to the cross. He's a sinner who has his own needs and he's made his own mistakes, but he's coming to the cross. And Jesus in this moment speaks to him as closest family and gives him this incredible responsibility to his family. And despite all his sin, John was in in some unique way the disciple that Jesus Loved, And I love how the Getty song says it. Hands that should discard me hold wounds that bid me come. Beneath the cross of Jesus, my unworthy soul is one. 
It says, we were once strangers chasing selfish dreams, but, but now we are his through grace alone beneath the cross of Jesus. His family is my own. I love that truth. That was John's story. He had had selfish dreams and ambitions for himself, being the number one or two spot in the kingdom just earlier that week. He was unworthy. But grace had changed him. It changed this one who was known before as a son of thunder. It's this one that gets to be the son to Jesus' mother, to have that role of being the honored one to care and honor her for the rest of her life. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. That's from the Psalms. And the prophecies of Messiah as a suffering servant taking on weakness. And, and Charles Spurgeon said on this note, if he said, I thirst, he, he knows about our needs. He knows about our frailties. He has practical, personal experience of what we feel, whether in our body or in our, or in our heart. He says, let the sympathy of Christ then be fully believed and deeply appreciated. The one who said, I thirst. Jesus had taught about thirst before. He taught about a, a rich man in hell begging for just some water because he was thirsty. And there is no relief in hell. But there's a, a real sense in which Jesus on the cross is suffering hell's wrath. He's suffering the wrath of God that sinners will receive in eternity. But he does it in these hours Here's how Hebrews 2 explains that he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for, for everyone. That's everyone who would believe. He too shared in their humanity. He had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And it says this, because he himself suffered when he is tempted, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted and Hebrews 4:15 says we have a savior who can sympathize with our weaknesses he knows them and so we can come with confidence to his throne of grace for mercy we can find help in time of need from this sympathetic savior amen and that's that's where we need to go this should encourage us to go there to pray to the lord who knows? And so with people suffering or facing great grief, this should motivate us to, to pray to our sympathetic Lord, to, to not underestimate the power of praying. But we can apply it further in Philippians 2. If there is any sympathy, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. And he says, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And he goes on to say, have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. And he goes all the way to the point of death on the cross. We're to have that mindset that was in Christ. Even on the way to the cross and even on the cross. We need the mind of Christ so we can model Christ. His sympathy and, and looking to others is not just an encouragement to us, it's an example to us. How can we show that same sympathy? How can we reflect our Savior's love to others? 1 Peter 3.8, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate. 
That's what we're called to do as believers in Christ. But I don't want to end on that note because the text doesn't end there with Christ's sympathy. It also brings us to his sufficiency. In verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The other gospel writers say he said this with a loud voice. It is finished. This was a a victory cry. This is not the cry of a defeated man. This is a cry of victory in this moment. Because we sang earlier, curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life. Finished is the victory cry. It was the, the victory over death, which is ugly. Even his death was ugly. It's called an enemy in scripture. But the risen one can swallow up even that enemy, that last enemy, in in victory. He can even take the sting away from that which is real and is grievous. He is sufficient. He is enough. And his grace is sufficient. And his presence is sufficient. And he is with all who die in him by his completed salvation. And he's also with all those who trust him. He is near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit because he said it is finished. It's, it's accomplished. His dying breath has, has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Verse 30 is a perfect tense verb, which means it's finished and it will always be in the state of being completed. There's nothing that could ever be added to Christ's all-sufficient, atoning work. It is done, and it's not done by us at all. It's not a potential redemption. It's a particular redemption that actually redeems his elect and atones completely for all believers, and it finally, fully fulfills all of the Old Testament law and prophets. Once for all time, Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior. He is and will be enough. And he's sufficient to comfort. He's sufficient to help us comfort others. If you feel inadequate, if you feel insufficient, you are. We are. But here's the good news. He's not. 2 Corinthians 3.5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. You think someone who might think they're sufficient in ministry would be Paul. Paul says we're not sufficient in anything, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers. And then 2 Corinthians 9.8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then in chapter 12, verse 9, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. His grace is sufficient. He is with us in weakness. His power will rest upon us when we don't have the power or the sufficiency, or the ability. And if you're one of those who's tempted to fall into the performance trap, 
Remember that Jesus said it is finished. It's never our standing before him based on our performance or how we're doing in handling it. It's always his performance for us. If you fall into the trap of wanting to make a fellow believer pay for his sins, Jesus already paid it all. He didn't pay it some. And now you have to make them pay some more. That believer, he paid it all for their sin, for all who would believe. And, and even he paid for the sin of you trying to make them pay or wanting to. And for those who die in their sin, there will be payment by God. But we don't need to add to that as if God's payment is not going to be enough. We need to pray for even our enemies, that God will be merciful to them. And don't beat yourself up or punish yourself up. Punish yourself for the past. All of that is finished. Preach to yourself. He is sufficient. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in him. Rest in his finished work and his future grace. This word, it is finished, is what you would say when you completed an assignment or a priest examining an animal to find it faultless or an artist completing a picture or a story that was composed and it was done or especially the merchants would say this when something was paid in full. This is the word that Jesus is using. It is finished. He has completed the story that God was writing. He has completed the the picture now on the cross that was in the Old Testament. He is the faultless, blameless Lamb of God, and he has paid in full for sin for believers. And so that's the message of Christ's finished work and final words on the cross. You cannot do anything to save yourself. You cannot earn your way. All the other religions of the world are about what you must do to get to the divine state, whatever they call it. Christianity is about what must be done for you by the divine savior. All the other religions say do. Christianity says the redeemer says done. It's been done by me. Men say, you're good, just just do more good. The master says, you're not good. You can never do enough good. That will never work, but you need to trust my finished work on the cross for you. And, And don't put faith in your accomplishments or what you hope to accomplish in your life from this day forward to be saved. You need to trust in Christ alone, his accomplishments for you, that he alone is sufficient to save Solo Christo, we say. It's a, it's a solo. It's not a duet. It's him alone. So come with nothing in your hands to, to bring and, and come to the cross and cling in faith to what Jesus did for you. He alone is sufficient for salvation and the satisfaction of your soul. Friends, life is short. Life is a vapor. We don't know if we have tomorrow. We need to trust the Savior. You need to trust the Savior today. Life is fragile. Life is short. But today could be the day of salvation for you. Now, God commands all people everywhere to repent, to come to him. And if you're not sure you're ready, if you were to die today, come to him. If you need help, come up front. We have a brother or sister that would love to talk with you and pray with you and to help you know Christ I thought of the Puritan Richard Baxter who said years ago, I preached as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. We we need to remember 
Our day is coming for all of us. But Jesus had tears in his eyes as he looked at Jerusalem. He had tears in his eyes as he went to the cross. And the one who said in John 19, I am thirsty, as he's there in the beating sun and the scorching heat, he is our sufficient substitute. And I love what Revelation says of believers, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. He will lead them to springs of living water. And then it says this, God will wipe every tear away from their eyes God will wipe away every tear many in tears that day looked on Jesus Mary especially in her tears saw her son who was not being spared that horrible death you can imagine she could barely take it in but as the the hymn says on the cross her burden Jesus was gladly Bearing, and he died so that he would take away her sin. That should make us sing from our souls, How great thou art. And we're going to sing that. I love this hymn, another hymn that starts with Man of Sorrows, what a name, but then at the end of it, it goes to this Lifted up was he to die, it is finished, was his cry, now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray to him. Our God, how great thou art. We thank you for the great truths of Christ's sympathy as the man of sorrows and his sufficiency as our merciful Savior. We thank you for his humanity and his family that he makes by his blood. And there's people we can be closer to in this room who we are not related to by blood who can become our family in a deeper way. But help us to think of family rightly, children and parents rightly. Help us to care as Christ shows his followers here. I pray these things in Jesus' name and all the family of Christ said, Amen.